Hey everyone, and welcome to The Higher Estate. My name is Dr. Ira Price, and this is where we talk about all things related to cannabis, and we bridge the gap between the medical and lifestyle worlds and all things in between. I have an amazing guest here today. He's just an awesome human all around. I'm going to call him a friend, not even a, a guest, because, you know, I, I've met him. I met him once before, and we were, uh, the last time I saw him was a couple, uh, actually, a, probably about two years ago now in California. We were at uh, Cannabis Retreats uh, in um, Malibu. What an amazing, like, what an amazing environment to be in. Anyways, I have Eben Britton here today, and he's just uh, an amazing human, all-around human. He's a ex-NFLer, played a really tough position and uh, a huge cannabis uh, advocate as well. Uh, he's been a podcaster. Man, this is a guy who's like, who's l- literally had a whole bunch of lives in one life. And he's one of the most mindful humans I know. And and honestly, that's one of the, the reasons like that I'm so drawn to the things that he's been doing. And I've been following him for so long because I see a lot of, you know, similarities in some ways. And then Obviously, like he's he's taken it to such a, you know, a great extent in his business life, his professional life and his his private life. I met I, I met your wife, Britt, when we were uh, she came out as well. And that was amazing. Anyways. Hello. Hey, brother. How's Thanks it for having me? Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I've been watching you watching all the stuff that you're doing lately. And uh, I mean, it's just amazing where you like all the shit that you've done, bro. And oh, so I have to do this disclaimer. It happens every time. My my mother hates that I swear. And I, I fuck like I have a lot of swear. I have a lot of swear in me. It's like it all comes out at one time. I think it's passion. She uh, she thinks it's uh, she used to oh, go. Yeah, totally. Uh, she used to come on and give me all these nasty ratings saying, I can't give you a good rating because you're swearing. Anyway, that's my mom for you. <laughs> she loves me. <laughs> so, good, yeah, man, it's been good. So you're like, I really wanted to like get started with what? who's Eben, man? Like I've seen so much of, of like you're a footballer and yet you're one of the most mindful people one of the most mindful people I know you're, you know, like it's, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, you're an offensive lineman who, who does yoga every day. How does that happen? Where did that start? Um, good question. Who is Eben? I know it's such a tough, like it's so tough, right? But you, you, yeah. well, you know, man, um, I've kind of gotten to this place where I don't really, I know I'm off track anytime I'm uh, identifying myself as any one particular thing. Um, You know, and I obviously I felt the, you know, complete devastation mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually coming out of my football career, having spent, you know, 20 years of my life identifying myself as a football player. Um, That's a good point. Actually, like the identification of being a football player, how does one identify themselves and how do you remove yourself from that? Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, so how did I become, how, how do I rectify being a football player turned yogi? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it really, I have to give the credit to my parents you know, and, and that that goes along with the cannabis um, 
storyline as well. You know, I was raised by people who were very holistically minded individuals. You know, they believed that food is medicine. You know, you take care of yourself through the foods you eat, how much exercise you get, drinking plenty of water. You know, and the body really does the work from there. You know, you provide the environment and your body really knows what to do at the end of the day. I mean, um, and there's a lot of natural, holistic practices, herbal remedies, uh, et cetera, that, you know, help our body along the way. Did your, um, did your parents growing up, like, how did you get into football then? You, you just, you mentioned that, you know, your parents are these holistic humans and I'm assuming, so you have a close relationship with your, your family. Uh, yeah, very close, very close relationship with my, um, really my whole family. I mean, you know, we've, there's a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental health, uh, disease in my family, uh, depression, anxiety, et cetera. Um, you know, as a, as a crew, we've really been through the shitter together, experienced a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but at the end of the day, you know, we found a way to come together, find forgiveness for each other and, you know, learn how to move on and, and be in the gratitude of, you know, having people who really have your back, you know, in your life. Did you they, know, in the, did they push you into football or did you push yourself into it growing up? Like, sounds not like. Not at all. Yeah. Actually, my mom never wanted me to play football so... and she, she thought that I would get hurt. So. I, I had this somewhere along the line. I, I bring it back to being probably about eight or nine years old, being up at my grandparents' house in Connecticut over the summers, watching the news and seeing the Jets and the Giants in training camp um, on the news and thinking, man, I, I want to be one of those warriors when I grow up. Yeah. You know, I want to be one of those guys, one of those athletes. And, um, you know, my mom wouldn't let me play. She thought I would always get hurt. Finally, my freshman year of high school came along and I had I, my, with the help of my dad, you know, we convinced my mom that, you know, it was time for me to take a shot at this football thing. Were I'd you? always wanted to play. She never wanted me to play. I mean, I was always one of the biggest kids in class. Bro, you're you know, huge. Uh, like, you're tall. Like, you're yeah, super I was always tall. one of the biggest kids. Yeah. Um, so finally, she let me play. And really, you know, from the day I stepped foot on the, on the football field my freshman year, I was just surrounded by people who believed in me. You know, I had the athleticism. I was gifted with the size. So I had sort of the tangible uh, necessities that are required to get to the level of playing in the NFL. But, you know, from the time I stepped on the field, you know, it was really before that, because in eighth grade, I started training with this trainer and it was super intense three days a week. What, in eighth grade? Out at the park, weight training, 
you know, and then from the time I was about 12, my mom started taking my brother and I to yoga. Sorry, why were you doing that in eighth grade? I mean, the funny enough, I was, uh, I'm definitely never did anything pro, but I was, I was, you know, I was a rugby player my whole life. And, but, yeah. and, you know, starting, you know, uh, training three days a week, training every morning, doing all that in eighth grade, that, that takes a toll. Why, you know, you're, you know, out with your friends, yeah. what, you know, you just wanted yeah. to, what were and you this training? Wasn't, you know, this wasn't like, feel good training this was like weight training and sprint work until i puked what? sorry this in eighth grade like, where were you going with that <laughs> what like where like eighth grade why why eighth, why were you doing that in eighth because grade i just i had I this vision it. man i was uh-huh. gonna make it to the nfl that was my wow. that was in my mind's eye i envisioned seeing myself in the nfl playing on sundays and i just kept doing it Wow. Everything I did from that, basically from my eighth year in eighth grade on until the time I got drafted in 2009 to the Jaguars, you know, everything I did, every move I made, everything I ate, everything I thought was about making it to the NFL. Wow. And my whole life was built around, uh, you know, realizing this vision of playing in the NFL, playing football on Sundays. Your mom um, came around to it in high she, school? I mean, my mom now is is the is the insane rabid football fan. Really? I'm like, I'm done playing, <laughs> you know? She's like, she's she's like, who are we rooting for this year? I like the Raiders. I like John Gruden. I'm oh, like, geez. all right, mom, fine. Oh. You know, I, I, oh. <laughs> I've never had a dog in the race. Yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, a fan of the athletes themselves. And coming out of my football career, you know, I like to watch the Jags. I like to watch the Bears. You never believed you, in Buffalo, know. huh? <laughs> Buffalo was, uh, uh, to be honest, I took a trip to Buffalo before the draft because they were looking at drafting me. Really? So I had a chance to go there, see their whole facility, meet all the coaches and the front office people. I mean, Buffalo was a great organization. It would have been a good place to be. Yeah. Well. You know, the place... Um, to play for maybe not to live you really don't want to end up as cincinnati right i don't know they're Uh, similar (laughs) just because their their organization is run yeah just it's like uh you know it's like a death march there yeah for sure so you got into so you got into football in in high school were you using cannabis back then too um no you know i was i came to cannabis i was always very curious about you know i come from this long line of for lack of a better word witches yeah i read that i read that i read that you mystical, uh, yeah mystical people mystical thinkers yeah, artists yeah. you know my father is an artist my mother is a writer longtime journalist ran a lot of fashion magazines in new york city when i was a kid um and uh, my grandmother is an Academy Award-winning actress. Yeah. You know, I've got – so uh, along with this athletic background, because my dad was also a Division One basketball player, there's this line of artistry and mysticism in my family. And so I, I guess it's just sort of embedded in my genes that I had this – I always had this curiosity towards plant medicines, cannabis – I even remember, you know, looking back because, you know, in my life after the NFL, I've I've done a handful of plant medicine ceremonies and, you know, I've really been called to things like ayahuasca and psilocybin as of late. Um, 
which have been a lot of people have been powerful healing yeah. tools for me in my life after football. Uh, but cannabis, you know, cannabis was something that were you smoking cannabis in high school? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, like I remember as a teenager having yeah. getting some idea in my head. I don't know if I, I think it might have been. I saw this movie Altered States with William Hurt, mm-hmm. where he plays this uh, researcher at NYU who goes to New Mexico and has this peyote journey, mm-hmm. and then he ends up bringing peyote back to New York and he gets into a float tank and he emerges as like this sort of caveman devolved version right. of himself and runs amok in the city. And that sort of sparked this idea. I was like, oh, that would be really interesting to go on one of these journeys out in the desert. I watched the doors and uh remember oh, in the yeah. in the doors he did yeah. that. He went out there and uh I love that. Uh, he too. had that peyote moment, and yeah, actually, that's when I my I had an experience with peyote. Funny enough, and it was after watching that as well. Anyway, yeah. So you were using, so you were dabbling with it in high school, or you just sort of were like you were so focused on football. This is what I got to do. I was so focused on football. This is what I got to do. I was ter- You know, I was always a team captain. I was a team leader. I was a guy that coaches really looked to, um, you know to set the example for the team. And so, you know, any thought of, I was very affected by the stigma yeah. know, of cannabis. Yeah, and yeah, of course. God forbid a coach finds out that I, you know, have ever smoked weed or done anything bad, you know. So cannabis, like, I tried it a couple times. I had some really positive experiences. I also had, you know, I probably in high school smoked weed like three times. Um once was really positive. Actually, I would say two times were really positive. Once was a really scary, <laughs> intense Everybody's trip. got that trip. What was that trip? Tell me that trip. Do you remember? You must remember it like perfectly. Oh my God, yeah. I was, uh, we, it was after my senior year yeah. of football. And uh, this a girl who was a friend of mine invited me and my best friend over to her house for like a, a session, a smoke out. And, you know, I was pretty, I was super excited about it, but, uh, but I was also, you know, very green and wet behind the ears. Like I didn't have much experience with it. So, you know, we get there and these kids were all like pro stoners at that point. And so it was like, bong rip after bong rip and then a blunt started being passed around and then all of a sudden I noticed like the other kids weren't passing the blunt anymore and (laughs) it was just me and my buddy passing it back and forth and then all of a sudden dude I just descended into the underground yeah yeah man like oh no I'm so fucking high I'm like floating out of my body the voices I'm with these these (laughs) fucking stoners i'm a i'm an all-american football player i'm i've got a scholarship to arizona i can't be doing this get me out of here and, and, yeah and you go and you go and it's and there's yeah. no coming back for a couple hours when you're in that fucking zone man oh dude yeah and i i got my my buddy was totally chill he's like reading a magazine <laughs> like chilling on the couch he's like dude just chill it's fine do you start praying I used to start praying when bad shit came. I'd be like, I don't know that, <laughs> anything. That 
hasn't kicked in until later. Yeah, that, yeah. In the last like five years, I start praying if I feel like <laughs> I've got too high. Oh, but, wow. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got him. I was like, dude, we got to get out of here. Yeah. And, and right before then, I was, you know, I was parched. Like I had unbelievable dry mouth. Yeah, yeah. Drank like three massive glasses of water really fast. And I'm like in this sort of whirlwind, like getting my buddy. I'm like, we got to go. And then stepping, walking through her house to get outside. I grab my backpack. I turn to look at her and like cartoon wings start like sprouting out of her back that's awesome uh, <laughs> i was like it's not Holy good shit. And I stumble <laughs> out the front door into the sunlight and i puke all the water oh. all over her oh, front that's lawn that's amazing oh, that's amazing I'm like oh my god the neighbors i'm fucked <laughs> they're calling the cops yeah that's usually what happens they didn't oh yeah, you're lucky no. so my buddy my buddy and I ended up walking like three miles back to my house. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was one of those fucking epic trips that just, I was like, I'm never smoking weed again. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a, it sounds like a first time psilocybin fu- adventure. You know, it's like a mushroom adventure with the wings and the, uh, it's funny. It reminds me of like, it, like how psilocybin literally changed my life actually at one point in time in high school. I didn't realize it probably until last year. One day I'll talk about it. And when I gain that courage to do it, but it's like, you know, it's you went that you're that, that you lose your body. You're like, you're flying, yeah. you're floating and you see all the stuff around you. Anyway, that's what it sounds like to me. You know, your, your body was, your body was telling you something early on. So you go into, yeah. so you're now, so you go into the NFL, you're like, you, you, you're done high school, you head into the NFL and, and what happened? So like, you know, actually, I'll tell you, you know, we have very different experiences in, in with Ridlin. I'm going to bring up the Ridlin thing because, you know, okay, I, yeah. I spent, I spent, ooh, I was a high school dropout when I, when I, uh, you know, I'm a physician now and, and I go around, I talk to other kids who are, you know, high school dropouts and uh, who are trying to get back into school and whatever. But I'll tell you, like, for me, I was in 11th grade, so I was just a senior, but I had like the amount of credits you need to graduate is like a ninth person in a ninth grader. So I was like two, three years behind everybody else. But that, and Ridlin was really new at that time. And, mm. uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm a plant-based guy too, but there was really no plant-based at that time. And I mean, aside from me just being a stoner and Ridlin really actually at the time helped me. I was, I was told by a doctor after everybody, I've gone through 10, 15 different schools. I got through everything you could possibly imagine. I was told fourth grade, you're never going to graduate. You're going to be a piece of shit, all this stuff. And, (laughs) and yeah, I was little, I was told that by fuck everybody. I went back one day, funny story. I was working as um, a physician. I was a resident working in, uh, in another hospital and my English teacher comes in. And uh, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to mention his name here. And uh, he says, I recognize you. I go, yeah, yeah, you were my 11th grade teacher on my third go. And uh, you told me that I was going nowhere, brother. (laughs) He's like, oh, well, uh, you know, at least one of you made it out is what he says to me. Anyway, Ridlin, though, helped me. I was literally on Ridlin until from 11th grade, probably until the end of high school or no end of high school, end of university, which Mm. which really got, you know, and I was still playing rugby through it. And I had that, you know, you had a letter. I was playing varsity rugby at the time. You had that letter, that exemption to use Ridland. Yeah. 
so for me, it really helped. And eventually I got off of it, but you were still using it or what happened? How did you like, take me through that adventure of, you know, you go from your, you know, these, those experiences you had in high school, you're now playing, you're now in, uh, in university. Did you start Adderall in university? Is that where it got started or how did that all happen? I didn't start taking Adderall until my second year in the NFL. Really? Why did they yeah. start you on it on Adderall? Well, I really uh, attribute it to I was in a very dark place. I had a really bad back injury that I was battling through during my second season. Um, I was in a really dark mindset. My cognitive function was really declining. I was super depressed. I felt like I was in a fog. And I attributed, you know, I attribute that to years, you know, probably at that point, 10 years of untreated uh, subconcussive hits and concussions. Yeah. You know, playing offensive line, you're constantly, you know, and I was a very physical, very violent player. You know, and I had no problem using my head. And, you know, up until really up until probably my last year in Chicago, I never really thought of myself as a guy who got concussions. But of course, coming out of my football career and looking back, I'm like, no shit. Yeah, I had, I definitely had, you know, a handful of concussions. And there are moments from practices <clears throat> specifically where, you know, I took a shot that I was definitely concussed after and then just continued to play because, you know, that was sort of taboo. That was forbidden. Do you, you think know? it was I'm coaching this that... time telling them that right. maybe I have a concussion? You know, that, that's like nonsense to me. Do you think that's that a systemic time. a systemic issue within uh, pro ath athletics? Like not even just football. I see it in, in most most sports where you're brought up through a system that tells you, don't tell me you're injured because coach wants you to play. And if you don't want to play, you're going to be benched. Do you think like, you know, some yeah. of that, you, you know, comes through that, 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 that mentality? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, for me, I was a warrior, man. Yeah. You know what I do? I, I go to fucking battle. I, I'm here to, to fucking kill people. Right. You no, know? I'm not, I'm not here to fucking tell you I'm hurt and tell you I can't play. I'm doing whatever it takes. In fact, I feel that it's more endearing to play while hurt, to play while banged up. You know, I took, I had a lot of honor and pride in, you know, being able to push through the pain. So second year of my NFL career and I'm sitting there and it's a Monday night and we're getting ready to play the Titans. And I'm just like, I can't get out of my own way. I'm just, you know, this is the game hasn't even started yet. Uh, my girlfriend is in town, Brittany, who would soon become my wife later on. Who's awesome, by the way. She's uh, awesome. It's a pleasure meeting her too. She's, I mean, she's an angel for me. Did she and, say, help um, save you by the way? Just as an she, aside. She's been a massive savior in my life yeah, all the way around. can imagine. So, um, so I'm just like, man, I don't know how the fuck I'm going to get through this game. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Uh, and then I sort of just had this thought. I look over to one of my teammates, another O-lineman, a guy who's a little older than me. And I'm like, dude, do you have anything that I can take to get through this game? And he says, well, uh, I've got Adderall. And I say, all right that and I, I I knew what Adderall was um 
obviously in college people had taken it. I never really took it. I think I took it one time in college um, and didn't really think much of it. Um, but so I was like, okay, well, what's the deal? And he's like, well, you know, you have to have a therapeutic use exemption to take it. If you get tested tomorrow, you could fail and you'd be in, you know, you could get a, you could get suspended. Right back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, still. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well just give it to me. I'm desperate. I need it. So he gave me two of them. I took one and it was like, I was brought back to life. I had energy in my body. I felt energized and excited and inspired and creative and uh, connected. And I was going around the locker room, like getting all my teammates jacked up and amped up. (laughs) And uh, so I was like, man, this stuff makes me feel fucking great. This has given me new life. This has brought life back into my legs. At the time I was dealing, like I said, I was dealing with this back injury that had sciatica. But it helped you. I'll tell you, it helped you because of the the cumulative stress that you've put onto your brain. The cumulative effect of repetitive hits to the head. You know, we yeah. I've done a study actually. We did a study. Um, oh, probably I'm going back to 2000 and it may have been 2015 on repetitive, um, undiagnosed concussive injuries on uh, preseason versus postseason. I mean, 50, 55 percent of all the athletes in this this study were uh, were would would not pass a concussive a concussion test. You're not passing a scat at all, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, after that, and so what happens with concussion is you you lose the de- the dopamine, and uh, Adderall and Ritalin they help to keep dopamine hanging around, oh. and it's the the feel good drug. And so yeah. you know it's not helping your back so much, but it's helping your focus, and it's giving you it's it's yeah. bringing back the uh, the dopamine that you that you fucking lost. So yeah, you feel absolutely. like a million bucks. Yeah. So what happened? Um, so you liked so it. I started taking it. I, I got a therapist and I said, dude, I need to, I need Adderall cause I can't focus and I'm having a really difficult time. And so I got the prescription. I made it legit. I got the therapeutic use exemption and then I started just started taking it mm-hmm. you know? and I became super dependent on it. Um, you know, it went through this sort of wave of it really helped me. Even Brittany, my, you know, my wife said, man, when you come home, I've got my husband back. You can have a conversation. You can sit down and focus. You're like doing the dishes. You're fucking, you know, taking care of stuff. You're connecting with me, et cetera. So it was really a positive thing for for a little while. I know how that feels. Uh, Like I I have the same, when I started, you know, it was the first time when I, the first time I took Ridlin and I came home and my, my mom tells me, it was the first time I've ever had a conversation with you where you, where you actually listened to something I was saying. So I know that feeling and, and that feeling of, wow, it feels good because other yeah. people are realizing it too. So you must, if you're feeling good, you know, and, Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then it goes, what? It's like, fuck it. I feel so then, you know, then it became like. Well, now I got to feel this way all the time. So eventually mm-hmm. I was taking fucking a 70 milligram Vivance, which is like a time yeah, release yeah, yeah. throughout the day, uh, you know, and then stockpiled that with a couple 20 milligram chewable tablets wow. uh, later in the afternoon. So I was, you know, and the problem is what I ran into, you start running into this fucking wall. You know, and about two o'clock, two, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., you just fall off the face of this cliff. Yeah. 
into depression, into sort of, uh, you know, your mind is just completely hit a wall, you know, and the headaches come on. Life became, you know, my life became this, this constant cycle of just completing a to-do list and getting tasks done. And I, you know, the, the connected, the connective aspect of it really kind of faded away. And I just descended into this robotic, mechanical way of being. You lose your personality over the task oriented self because you were so not used to doing tasks and completing them. Yeah. It felt so yeah. good to complete something. You just want, I get it, bro. I, I, yeah. I know how that, I think only somebody who's using it that often, you know, gets it. But anyway, yeah. So, so you yeah. lose yourself. Yeah. And you know, and then it became this cycle too of, you know, by five, six o'clock at night. Now I'm like, well, now I got to start coming down. So I got to smoke a ton of weed. I start drinking wine, alcohol, whatever it is, yeah. to start coming down so that I can sleep. I wasn't sleeping very well, yeah, yeah. you know, and then waking up at five, six o'clock in the morning to start the cycle all over again. Central alpha blockade. You got to shut off the stuff in your brain so that your blood exactly. pressure comes down. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's not um, survivable. So around. So my last year in Chicago. It was a rough year. Um, I had gone, flown from Chicago back to LA with my family for the bye week. And my high school was retiring my jersey at this ceremony. I get there and I'm, I'm feeling sick kind of all day. I'm feeling just off and there's a pain in my gut and I don't know what's going on. I can't really like... I'm not throwing up. I can't, I feel like I have to shit, but I can't shit. And this descends this weekend that we're back home in LA for my uh, Jersey retirement at my high school descends. And all of a sudden the day we're supposed to fly back, I'm like, and I had been basically in bed since the ceremony because I was in so much pain. I get, I'm, we're three hours from heading to the airport to get our plane back home. And I'm just like, something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. So go to the ER. I have a ruptured appendix. Oh, shit. I, um, so I have to have emergency, an emergency shit. appendectomy. Yeah, you got to do surgery. Removed. Yeah, yeah. I end up spending a week in the hospital. I lose about 30 pounds. I have to call the team, tell them what happened. They're like, holy shit, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, fuck. So I... I end up, I fly home a week later, or I fly back to Chicago, get back with the team. I end up missing like the next month while I'm getting my weight back and sort of recovering. And in that time, I had run out of my Adderall prescription. And I was at at the facility and it was, you know, going to be a long day of meetings and sort of standing around and, you know, doing stuff because I couldn't really do anything. Yeah. And I went to one of my teammates who I knew had Ritalin. And I said, hey, brother, uh, can I get a Ritalin? I'm out of my Adderall. 
and I just need something to get me through the day. You know, God forbid I sit through a day of meetings without Adderall. Right. You know? Well, it's impossible. Like you'd feel yeah. like it's impossible that it's, you, you yeah. know, you don't have the tools to be able to do it yourself yet. You know, right. so you, you got to Yeah, I get it. And, and in my head, I thought, hey, it's Ritalin. It treats the exact same thing that yeah. I've been diagnosed with, which is ADHD. Um, it's the, you know, it's a similar, you know, it's like a sister drug to Adderall. So even if I get a drug test and I test positive for it, I feel like I have a good argument, you know, to avoid a suspension. Yeah. You know? So I wasn't worried about it. Right. So I take the Ritalin. And it felt very similar to Adderall, maybe the same thing. Um, and uh, of course, that day, uh, I get drug tested. I get p- picked for a drug test. Yeah. I go in, do the drug test. And it wasn't until I, I finish out that year. And it wasn't until sometime in January, the season had ended, I get a letter from the league saying, you tested positive for Ritalin. Uh, and we're, we're serving you a four game suspension for next year. And at the time, you know, I was at the end of my second one year deal with the bears. I had no contract coming up. I was going to be a free agent. So this really fucked up my, you know, my prospects for the next year, 2014, you know, so I went to fight it. The NFLPA did literally nothing to help me argue the case. When mm. I went, when I met the woman who was in charge of arguing my case, I I knew exactly why I didn't because she didn't take fucking two seconds. So they don't give a shit. No, they're... think about what argument I had. Um, you know, I I at that point I had a good um relationship with the guy who headed up the the uh, performance-enhancing drug protocol unit, yeah. this guy, Dr. Lombardo. Um, and so, you know, he was like, hey, man, is there anything you can, you know... And I explained to him the whole thing. And he said, well, you know, it's tough uh, because you were still prescribed the Vivance and the Adderall, and, uh, you know, they, really? they're looking at this as just a totally different drug, and there's really nothing we can do. Huh. So at that point, you know, I was exhausted. I had already, after my last year in Jacksonville, which was two years prior, I was already ready to be done playing football. Right. I reached my limit with it. Um, Just my body was beat to shit. I had a really bad back injury. My right foot, my legs had just gone to hell since the sciatica, this nerve damage that I had, which still to this day, you know, I've got these sort of um, numb numb spots on my on the bottom of my foot it's something that that coaches never tell you about because they tell you to just keep going and going and get back in and get back in and you develop that warrior spirit that doesn't have the mindfulness behind it and i want to talk to you about that moving for later on but the uh so you just keep on playing and the injuries and you look at the fucking pro athletes and and even retired like um amateur athletes and olympians 10 years after retired some of them can't even move anymore like it's just yeah. it's, it's fucking atrocious yeah. really anyway it's so it's terrible you know yeah um so he asked you is there anything so- else so I, I just I, I took it as you know the universe really providing me with an opportunity to to walk away, you know, and um, 
so I, I started I started getting ready to retire. You know, I, I didn't really have it in me to keep playing. Um, that year, Were my you- wife had just passed the bar in California, and I said, let's just move back to L.A. You know, we'll take this thing one one day at a time. Maybe I'll go back and play if I get any opportunities, uh, any calls. But uh, let's just set up shop in Los Angeles, where we're both from, and we'll take it from there. You know, you can start your practice as an attorney, and we can, you know, just figure it out. And so that offseason, I got a number of calls from the Falcons, from the Bills, actually. They wanted to bring me in to work me out and, you know, potentially sign me. And I couldn't even get on the plane. You know, I was like... The thought of just driving to the airport to go travel to work out for this team that I that might sign me, I, I just you're mentally I didn't done. In, yeah, you know, I was completely done. Yeah. So that was it, man. And I, you know, I, I started the long process of uh, of healing. Re- Did, yeah, healing, and learning, and finding yourself. myself in life after football. So, were you always in? You know. You were you using cannabis in non-medical sense during your? Uh, you mentioned it a couple times. I've seen in passing that you know you were using you know large amounts of cannabis as well. But your advocacy, are you saying your advocacy for cannabis didn't really start until you you realized you know fuck man I've been using all these these other drugs and and maybe now it's time that you know I give cannabis a shot or did you always find that like how you know where did the cannabis you know advocacy angle uh, come from, you know, if you were always using cannabis, you know, what, or, or the plant-based, I mean, you're an advocate of, uh, DMT fuck and, and psilocybin, which is where the world is now. But, you know, back yeah. then, you know, how did you, how did you come up? How did you bridge that mind? Maybe this is a better way. How did you bridge that mindfulness with that, with, with the athlete warrior spirit? How did you put those two together at that time? And how did cannabis play a factor in, uh, in your recovery? It's a good question. Um, well, it was in college where I really started to understand the regenerative properties of cannabis. And it was sometime after my true freshman year at Arizona and the season had come to an end. And, you know, in college, it's really tough to use cannabis because you're constantly, there's constant threat of random drug tech. Right. Yes. So, you know, we were very wary and careful about our use of cannabis in college. But at some point, we got, we got the word through the grapevine that there would be no more tests for the end of the year. So we, it was like all the O-linemen got together. There was a bonfire. Somebody had a J. Um, and that thing started getting passed around. And, you know, I smoked some of it. And... Um, you know, not only was that like this great bonding experience, you know, of the O-line brotherhood of us all coming together and, you know, this this time after the season to sort of galvanize our, our uh, you know, our brotherhood and our, yeah. our it's a great know, way to come together. Yeah, yeah. Camaraderie, et cetera. Um, but I remember waking up the next day and I was like, holy shit, I feel so good. I feel like I got the best sleep I've got all year. I feel like if I had to go play football today, I could do it and I'd be awesome. 
you know, I felt regenerated. And I was like, man, if I had drank a bunch of alcohol last night, I'd feel like shit today. Right. You know, were you drinking much back then, too? Um, not really. Not at that point. I mean, in college, it you know, definitely alcohol became, you know, a go to party. uh, Did you, you know, enabler? Did you but, uh, suffer from mental health? Like, I mean, if it was running in in the family, and I find that a lot of athletes suffer from mental health too. Also, just because of the way they're coached through the go 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 mentality, coaches always putting you down. Coaches, you know, telling you this that you lead this life that's pretty seems pretty straight and narrow. I find athletes suffer quite a bit. Do you think you know was that you know part of uh, part of the drive to all of this other stuff? Um, definitely not. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's I fucking mean- impossible not to. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I, I really viewed myself as the tip of the spear and an absolute, you know, gladiator. So it didn't really, um, the mental health stuff didn't really come into play until my NFL career. Okay. You know, yeah. Where I really started to descend into darkness because the, the dream of making it to the NFL had been realized and, you know, I didn't have that mountain to climb anymore, you know, so everything, you know, this thing that I had perceived as being the answer to all my prayers, here I was realizing it going, wait, this is it. This is, I still don't feel fulfilled. I still don't feel like I've done anything. I still like, I still feel like I have everything in the world to prove and I have to show everybody how fucking big and tough and badass I am still. You know, right. the hole was still there, you know, so, um, so I started using more and more cannabis in my collegiate career. Again, like once I got word that the tests were, had come to an end for the year and that, you know, it was safe to use cannabis. But then when you get to the NFL, there's only one test a year for, for quote unquote street drugs. And the two weeks before um, season, or at least it yeah, was. Yeah. You, if you're lucky, you get tested sometime in April or May when, you know, spring practices start. But otherwise, then you have to wait until just about the first week of training camp right. um, to get that annual street drugs test or SOA, substances of abuse, as they call them, which is what cannabis is labeled under, except not anymore. Right. They changed that recently. You know, it's funny. I had a bunch of uh, friends play, you know, friends playing in the NFL. And actually, I was a assistant team doc in the CFL for for about five years. And uh, aside from just handing out like the fucking home plates, doc, at the end of every uh, every every fucking game you'd have the same 12 guys usually the o-line <laughs> coming in and and asking for uh you know they they want their you know the circles with the slits the tylenol threes and then they want the the home plates which were the benzos because you know somehow uh backle fan and all these guys were yeah. were helping them they didn't even know the fucking names and i told them to go home and smoke a joint funny enough because they weren't testing at that time in I in the cfl that. i did I, I had enough actually i had most of the team uh, uh, at that time, going home and, and smoking cannabis, they didn't like me very much. Fair to say, the uh, yeah. the coaching staff, but um, the yeah. So, but like fucking the, my friends that are playing in the uh, people I know in in the NFL, they you know. So you stay away from cannabis and drugs for two weeks prior to getting tested, and then yeah. it's just like game on. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry, I digress. No, no, not at all, man. Um. 
So cannabis so becomes part of your life then. Experience with cannabis as mm-hmm. this great recovery tool. Yeah. Help me deal with, you know, the physical and mental stress of playing football really became apparent during my college career. Interesting. And then once I got to the NFL, it was like once I had that test, I just used cannabis as needed. Were you basically just about every day? So you're using cannabis every day. Did you use it prior to games or only during or only after games? Um, Later in my career, I started, you know, using it before games. Uh, You know, uh, at that time, somebody I think vape started coming out. Um, That was my push uh, for the vape. Yeah. (laughs) So it was much more I could be much more discreet, bringing it to hotel rooms and and all that. Do you think it helped Um, you? Do you think it helped you during the game? Do you think cannabis is a, you know, I know from the, I can tell you the scientific aspect behind all this shit, but that's kind of boring. You know, do you think the, uh, do you think cannabis is, um, you know, enhancing and enhancing medicine? I, this is a tough question because if you, so, an, if you answer yes, you put it into a category and you answer no, you put yeah. it into, it's kind of you're stuck. So I'm going to, you know, what do you think? I would say it's no more performance enhancing than a guy who's popping three Vicodin before a game, which guys are doing all the time. I did that. Um, you know, it's look, the, this plant contains chemical compounds that our body produces through the, through the endocannabinoid system. So, um, for me it was, it just helped me feel more in my body, you know, where the pharmaceutical stuff really, I felt made my nervous system very shaky and put me into this, uh, you know, physically and mentally agitated, irritated state. Cannabis didn't do that, and yet it still depressurized my system. Did you use, were you using during that time that you were, you know, playing, were you using opioids and narcotics as well what made you drive into the into the advocacy for cannabis as a safer alternative i mean i i know it's a safe we all know it is was there a moment in time where you're like fuck this like enough of all this shit did a friend die did were you seeing too much abuse like did you have enough did you say you're living now your highest life you're retired did you you're living your you know your spirit life How, you know was there that was there a moment where you're like fuck it um, or is it gradual for me? It was very, you know, all of this, my whole life really has been very intuitive, you yeah. know, and, uh, as an athlete, I've always been very intuitive with, you know, what I'm putting into my body and how it makes me feel. And from the time I was probably, I had, uh, uh, I went to the dentist when I was a kid and had to have oral surgery. And after that, was I I was they gave me Vicodin to come home and I remember after that taking it for three days of prescribed use recovering from this mouth surgery um I was already addicted I was experiencing withdrawals I was like 16 waking up at you know 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning with this twisting pain in my gut and cold sweats and chills and I didn't know what was happening. And I told my mom, she's like, oh, wow, you're you're experiencing withdrawal symptoms from that Vicodin. Um, so opiates always had a very negative effect for me. And so later on during in my NFL career, I 
I had to have my shoulder, I had to have shoulder surgery. And I remember after that, taking the pills that they prescribed to me. And I was like, so angry. I was in a, in a, just like, I, I had this blind rage simmering just yeah. below the surface. Um, I was super irritable. I was lashing out at the people who were around me because I was sort of dependent on my mom and my girlfriend to help me get dressed, to do everything for me. You know, I was, I lost an arm. My back was still fucked up. Like I was a mess and I would take these pills and I thought, man, I'm not even myself. I'm snapping on people. I feel crazy. Yeah, you know, and it, I realized it was every time after I took these painkillers. Yeah. So I think by the time I got to Chicago, I wasn't taking opiates anymore, because I just knew how how terrible they made me feel. Not to mention, you know, waking up at two o'clock in the morning. Now, because I couldn't sleep in my bed, I had to sleep in this recliner. I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning, just in complete cold sweats and chills. I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not, I, I can't take this anymore. So I think by the time I got to Chicago, I wasn't using opiates anymore. You know, as far as anti-inflammatories go, I might've been taking an Advil here and there, but for the most part, cannabis became my go-to uh, recovery tool and pain management tool. And you found um, it effective. You found it effective mostly after your games you'd use it maybe during the game just to help you relax you find it no more effective than you know saying a hike it in or or, or uh, an opioid i mean that's i mean the experience that i find from from athletes uh, it's such a range you know i i want i do a lot of mma stuff as well and you know and i talk to uh you know athletes in mma who find that that cannabis thc in particular helps them with their mental focus and when they're grappling you know grappling isn't fighting grappling is a chess game you know this and you yeah. speak to these guys and uh same with boxing you know they it helps them with that that focus and so mm -hmm. uh, there's always that question is it um uh, is it a uh, performance enhancing, you know, drug? I don't think it is. I think it doesn't, uh, you know, it's uh, it certainly doesn't doesn't do what Ritalin does, and it doesn't do it, you know, doesn't cause those massive spikes that you get, and it basically just resets your own system, uh, yeah. you know. And uh, so it's, you know, I think uh, I think it should be legal on that on. Actually, like baseball doesn't even test for it anymore. You know, basketball's no good. Football's coming around. What do you think? You know, like based on that, what do you think? Great. I think it's great. You know, um, so I came out of the league. Uh, my last year was 2014. In 2015, I started writing. You know, I started writing my ass off. You know, writing was always sort of my underlying yeah, art form that this, I would fall back on after my football career. You're hitting people and then you're saying I'm fucking mindful. It's weird. You see that, right? You're like, <laughs> I'm going to crush you, but then I'm going to do yoga. Like, yeah. it, it's it's a little... Uh, it's the process. It's, <laughs> it's a process. Do you just turn it off? Like, yeah, fuck it. Like, now it's war and now it's like, it's, it's peace and war? Like, anyway... <laughs> You know what no, I, but you know what I no, mean? No, I mean, talking, talking to my brother, he's like, dude, you're not even the same guy you were. Okay. You know? Um, and my brother really sort of was the, he, he turned me on to meditation. I would see him, you know, he'd come visit me or, you know, when I got done playing, he would anytime, 
you know, he might stay over the night or whatever it might have been. And in the morning, he would go into my backyard and meditate. And he'd be like, yeah, you should try meditating. I'd be like, oh, I fucking, I can't meditate. Yeah, There's no I say that every day. I can't do it. I can't sit and meditate. <laughs> so how do you do it? How do you fucking do it? And eventually, I just sort of broke down and started doing it. I got back into yoga because for a long time through my football career, once I started getting injured, Man, it was brutal to do yoga. It was yeah. so painful. It was excruciating. So, and I hated it. So I stepped away for yo from yoga for a long time in my NFL career. And I really only came back to it when I got done. Um, and then I started getting into meditation. And then I, it must have been maybe the first time I meditated. I was like, whoa, that is, that's what I've been looking for, you know, my whole life, you know. When I even when, you know, the smoking weed and consuming cannabis and all the other shit I've done, like this is the feeling, this is the sensation, this is the the realm I've been searching for. Is this place I get to when I meditate? It's that self love you've been looking for. It's that absolutely, man, and it's like yeah. complete peace and stillness and you know a total. Um, it's just a moment where you get to the the absolute center of yourself, you know, which we don't, you know, we're so in this world that we live in, we're so scattered, you know, yeah. in a million different directions. We're thinking about the past and things we did yesterday. We're worrying about the future and what's going to happen tomorrow. We're thinking about how we're going to be successful. We're thinking about who we're supposed to be. We're thinking about all this regrets, resentments, etc. Yeah. And where the fuck are you in all that? Right. Not living present. You're 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 missing the you're missing the ride, brother. Mm -hmm. You know? So um Do you think plant based medicine helped you get there? Do you think the medicine do you think the plants I, helped you get there or it was always in you? Cannabis I mean, that was always sort of who I was, the blueprint of me, but at the same time, you know, there's there's no question I diverged from the path throughout my football career. You know, right. And got lost along the way. And cannabis was really, you know, cannabis was always something that really brought me back. Yeah. You know, it always brought me back to my truth, to who I am, to what I am. And, you know, I think that showed me, it showed me the doorway back to myself, you know, at the end of the day. So how did I get into cannabis advocacy? I wrote this big article for Sports Illustrated and it really talked about dealing with injuries, my experience with Adderall and prescription pills and sort of the the machinery, the, the mechanism that is the NFL training room. And a little bit of that was talking about cannabis. And so, you know, the article got a lot of pub. It got it. It went pretty far. Yeah. Uh, I even got phone calls from my old head trainer who was really pissed off and felt like I you know, fucked him over and, you know, said a bunch of stuff that wasn't true, which I was like, dude, you're out of your mind. All man. institutions will say the same shit, though. It's an institution, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, dude, I didn't say anything that didn't happen. And right. To be honest with you, I didn't even really throw you guys. I wasn't throwing you guys under the bus. I laid out exactly what happened. I didn't really look at it as like this was your fault at all. Right. You know, and I didn't name names, etc. And, uh, which so I thought that was pretty funny and telling also of like his 
fear of the situation and, and guilt sort of bringing a light to yeah you know what he was doing and other shit that he was worried about coming right. out um so after that i got a call i got hooked up with this guy kyle turley who was like always one of my childhood heroes an all pro offensive tackle played for the saints and the rams and the chiefs um He's famous for throwing a helmet into the stands after this D lineman was basically trying to kill his quarterback. Um, and uh, he was always one of my favorite players. And he was, he at that time and had been really the tip of the spear in this cannabis conversation for football players. And I got on the phone because we had the same agent and I got hooked up with him and he said, Eb, I'm, I'm flying out to Phoenix tomorrow. Uh, to go speak at this cannabis conference, and I want to invite you out. I'll fly you out. I'll give you a room. I want you to come and tell your story if you're willing. And then at that time, you know, I was like, well, yeah, you know, it feels right. I don't know exactly what I'm going to say other than just kind of tell my story of how cannabis, how I used cannabis during my career and how I feel like it was a positive uh, tool for me during that experience. So I go to this conference I see the breadth of people that cannabis has had a positive impact on from cancer survivors to military veterans to, you know, these children with severe seizure syndromes um, that cannabis has like eradicated their seizures right. and helped their families live a, a normal life and, you know, get back to being able to live. And, um, and I'm like, wow. And I, I share my story and, I saw the effect it had and people just resonate it resonating with people and people thank being so thankful that someone who had had the platform that I did playing in the NFL was willing and able to speak on their experience with this plant because, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of truth being told about it, especially in pro sport at all. Especially, Yeah, yeah. from the pro sports perspective. So next Kyle starts talking. Um, and he's sitting to my left. It was myself, Nate Jackson, Kyle Turley, and Ricky Williams were the four speakers on this panel. Oh, wow. And uh, it Ricky's, must have been, yeah. it was probably the most filled conference I've to this day spoken at. There must have been 500 people in the audience. Pretty big advocates there, too, then. You got Ricky Williams. You got like, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ricky, you know, Ricky, you could say, is sort of the face of cannabis in the NFL because he actually kind of went up against the league during his playing career right. with his beliefs on cannabis and his stance, you know, yeah. and he was always very solidified in it. It's tough, you know? man. It's tough. Like to be that person. It's, it's, it's you know, he was tough. ostracized yeah. and fucking exiled and brought back. And then, you know, yeah, it's, it's tough. Put the shitter. Yeah. But so Kyle, Kyle starts talking, and one of the first things he reads is uh, the federal government patent 6,630,507 yeah, on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants. Yeah. And he starts reading the sort of abstract of what this government patent says, which is that cannabinoids, the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant, can help protect the brain from future damage and can also help the brain recover from a concussion or from trauma. And this just blew my fucking mind, yeah. you know, that there was actual scientific evidence. And not only that, but from 
the institution, the the government body that has put cannabis into this Devil. totally demonized yeah. Schedule One uh, classification, you know, where it's completely illegal and stigmatized and demonized. Yep. And I'm like, here is this evidence that this plant is actually an incredibly powerful medicine. What in the hell? All of my experience, everything I've thought for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, the, you know, me being worried about whatever, my cannabis use, my coaches finding out about it, you know, being labeled a stoner, et cetera. It's like I was validated in my use, you know, and I was like, man, I wasn't just making it up that this stuff made me feel better. It actually scientifically, chemically it helps you heal and it helps protect you from damage. Did it make you angry a little bit knowing that the government, by the way, you have a pretty good fucking memory. You n named the entire patent. I know it is patent 507. I could never get any closer than that. But it didn't It didn't anger you that you've been lied to, that, you know, the government, and, like that the whole institution of everything, people just close their fucking eyes. Sorry, mom, I'm swearing a lot again. I just when I get angry. Uh, you know, the, the institutions want to close your eyes because they have pushed, they're pushing their own damn agenda. But the yeah. government, your own government at the same time, and our governments, every government, North American governments, basically just blindfolded, you know, basically lied to us and, and told us all this shit. You, you had no anger towards them for that at that time when, you, you know. Uh, yeah. I was very angry. Yeah. I was very angry. Yeah, lit a, I, I'm lit, still angry. <laughs> it lit the fire that led to this. All right. That, you know. Um, so, I yeah. Was super angry. It lit this fire of. Uh, a thirst for knowledge and understanding more and um, going deeper into this and solidified my advocacy and my belief and in, 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 you know, and my stance in this truth that this medicine could be a benefit to my brothers, you know, right. playing football. Um, and it really remains to be the most important medicine for football players. You know, at the end of the day, there is no other substance on the planet that is as powerful a neuroprotectant as cannabis. And, yeah. you know, football players, the number one issue is, is brain trauma, concussions, this stuff called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is basically early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera, because of this plaque that builds up in the brain after all of these concussive and subconcussive hits. And so, you know, the NFL needs to take this shit seriously. And they really have, you know, this year in their latest CBA, they, they said they weren't ever, they weren't going to suspend players any longer for cannabis use, which I thought was a massive win. I think they, they have to play another game or two now, but they, because <laughs> everybody gets to come back. Well, I yeah. think they're, they're still going to suspend them on their fourth go, but at least they have like so many different options, you know, like you're, is that the official rule. Yeah. I think it's, you know, first go is, you know, it's, you're going into treatment. Second go is a fine. Third go is a four game suspension, some shit like that, but at least it's not, you know, you're suspended right away and you know, it's, well, treatment that, and suspension. it has been. But I thought they took it off. I'm pretty sure they they changed they they changed it to that that that's what I'm pretty. It's still there. You're still going to get a suspension, but not for a long time. You have to test positive a whole bunch of times now, at least uh, in May. So, um, 
headway there. Yeah, but they are making headway. I, I agree with you. You know, I it's nice to know that there's an athlete out there who, you know, who's there's a bunch of athletes obviously now, but somebody who comes from pro football and had all these things going on to uh to start advocating in that way. And then you started a podcast, your initial I used to listen to and Mind the Mindful Warrior you started. You know, I, yeah. and I think, you know, it's so important for athletes and for kids, you know, for any t like anybody growing up through the system to know that just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you have to, you know, toe that that line. There's always gonna be the like somehow there's going to be a, a there's a medium in there and I think you found that over time and I think that's why athletes look up to you and why you 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 play such an important role in finding the balance between mindfulness and uh and perseverance or that that spirit that that athlete spirit that isn't that's so driven but doesn't think of self very often. It's thinking of the goal and the identification of you as I'm not. If I have, if I have to identify myself as an athlete, that's all I am as an athlete. What happens when that's removed from me? Who am I now? And that's what you seem to have found. Yeah, yeah you, you absolutely. Well, you know, going back to that, you know, your initial question, who is Evan? I mean, you're a human being first. Yeah. You know, playing sports and being an athlete is something you do. Right. You know? That's not who you are. Right. That's not, you know, what you are. Yeah. You know, and, and we get so, you know, and this is part of the conscious evolution that I've been been going through and continue to go through is, you know, at the end of the day, anytime you start to identify your some, yourself as something, that puts you in a position to identify everyone else as being outside of you, other than you. You start to build judgments and have perspective on what everybody else is doing, rather than just focusing on who you are at the core of your being and what you're all about. Like for me, it doesn't really matter who I am or what I am. It's about pushing the envelope of consciousness and thinking around who we are and what this is all about and spreading positivity and light into the world that helps people better understand themselves, you know, because we're in this, we're in this fucking, you know, civilization in many ways has been, you know, one of the great inhibitors of human consciousness because it's created this system where everything is compartmentalized. Yeah. And in the grand scheme of life, nothing is compartmentalized. Nothing can be compartmentalized. You can't go out and treat someone like shit, be an angry asshole living your life, and then come home and expect to have peace in yourself. Well, that's why I find it so conflicting as you're, you know, you're, you're standing on the offensive line ready to beat the shit out of somebody and come home to this like well i wasn't at that time right you know? exactly you've developed into that but do you think if you got back on the field right now you could put that into a compartment and do you think you'd be able to take somebody down like that do you think you'd be able to play the game with the same you know yeah you know yeah, whatever at the end of the day it's an art form you know that's yeah. what martial arts are all right. about you know it's about discipline yeah it's about um you know stepping into this realm which requires certain aspects of you that but it's like coming but, into it with your whole self but knowing you, know? you can step out of it 
but knowing that it doesn't define who you are and you can now, you know, once you have that, because look, the NFL and the game of football preys upon men who come from troubled backgrounds and come from, um, you know, similar situations to me and worse, you know, because it, it, it creates this warrior mentality, you know, that, and, and without the sort of underlying spiritual foundation of understanding who you are and the grander scheme of what you are, right. You get sucked into this identification and this ideology yeah. know, of being a football player and being a warrior. So it becomes really difficult and those lines get blurred when you're coming home. That's why, you know, you see so much alcoholism and drug abuse and domestic violence in football players off the field, you know, because it's really difficult to turn that switch off at the end of the day. But to know Especially that really after 10 plus years right. of doing it. But you know that, so now, I mean, I think as a role model for others coming out of it, knowing that it's doable and seeing where you've come and, and, you know, going from, from athlete to, uh, to advocate, to business, to all these things you're doing. I mean, look what you're doing now. You're doing uh, you know, hop, you started the hot boxing, uh, with, with Tyson. And, and yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you must love that by the way, like, um, I'm, like it's fun. Yeah, it's super fun. I yeah. mean, that's even been like a massive, um, you know, ego trip turned ego death turned. How do you deal uh, with that? Lesson in identification, right. etc. cetera. Um, you know, it's a constant letting go, man. Yeah. You know, it's a constant letting go. Life is all about just continuing to let go because the minute you start holding on to shit, and the minute you start, you know, identifying yourself or expecting that there be more or demanding more of yourself, et cetera. And I'm not saying, you know, you should have, you know, the only way we find freedom is through vigilance and discipline, you know, and that's what I'm the freedom. Sound like religion. This so you sound like you sound like religion there, man. That that's what, you know, religion preaches that shit. Put the yoke of God in front of you and you'll be free. I don't know. I'm going to, uh, I came from a very religious background. No, no. I, Hey, I, I am repulsed by organized. Religion. Yeah. Yeah. Trust okay. I, but there is a higher intelligence and a Fair. spirit that flows through all things and all beings. Fair. You know, I agree. That it's the universe. I mean, we were, we came out of the earth. You yeah. know, we have this other idea that we're separate from everything in nature and the universe. We are an aspect of it. Yeah. Yep. You know, and so with that, you also have a purpose in this on this planet. Yeah. You know? And in your lifetime, you have a purpose that you must fulfill. Or you and, and a lot of us are are, you know, have, like I said, you've thrown all of these coverings over yourself, all of these veils, all of these identifications, these resentments, these frustrations, etc that inhibit you from fully expressing your truth and who you are and your purpose in this place. How do you, know, you and you only reach greatness, your own personal greatness that you are destined for through vigilance and discipline. And that means fucking 
working at it. Yeah, you have to work. I totally agree. You know, I, it's funny. I was just reading that. Uh, I just read the um, uh, the Five AM Club. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, waking up right over there. Well, it, yeah, it was, you know, it's excellent. The idea, I mean, maybe 5 a.m. isn't for everybody. I work night shift my whole, pretty much my whole life. So when I, my working life anyway, so I, I'm usually going to bed at seven in the morning. But, you know, mm. the idea is finding that routine when, you know, doing something outside of what most of the, most other people are doing and, mm-hmm. and sticking to that. And, and really, you know, 95, you want to be different. Don't do what everybody else is doing. You know, most people do one thing. Most people are all, like you said, are scattered and they don't have that that vigilance or that discipline to be, you know, super, not just successful and outside, but a successful within and finding out who they are. How do you keep your, I mean, just on the, like, you know, you just started mentioning, how do you, you know, keep your ego in check, bro? You're like, you're doing this really awesome shit now. You've got the, I mean, hotboxing is massive. It's great. And you produce this, this, this thing, you know, I, I listened to some things, how you, uh, you know, you've already spoke about how you, you met Tyson, how, you know, you sort of, you showed up and you keep showing up. And actually that's the warrior spirit. You know, you keep showing up and shit happens. How do you keep yeah. yourself in check? You know, you've got to tell other, there's people out there that, you know, they, Ego is probably the largest problem we deal with today, you know? It's all about self. It's the ego. How do you keep yourself in check knowing all this stuff, all these, you know, awesome, you're meeting some fucking cool people and you're, you know, how do you keep it all in check? Um, well, for me, it's just been, <laughs> to be honest, it's been a lot of hard lessons. Yeah. Learning that whenever I'm driven by my ego, driven by how much, success I have, how much money I'm making, how much recognition I'm getting, it leads to just pain and destruction. Yeah. Because it's never good enough. It's never fucking enough, ever. Right. It will never be enough for your ego. There will constantly be something more, something better, something higher, you know, something that you're missing, something that you're lacking. Yeah. So... That's number one, you know, and then how do you keep your ego in check? Well, for me, you know, I've really found my purpose, which is to spread positivity and light into the world. And what that means for me is expressing the truth that's in my heart. Right. You know, like when I talk about cannabis, I'm not talking about cannabis because you know, I, I, I want to sound really cool and interesting and I want, you know, I, I think that everyone should be able to get stoned and get high. I'm talking about cannabis because it's a fucking spiritual, heartfelt truth that must be expressed through this vessel that is Eben. Yeah. You know? And that comes down to everything. Like the moment I get sidetracked with oh man, I need my own fucking podcast. Why am I not getting the recognition I deserve hosting Hotboxing with Mike Tyson? Why am I not being praised and recognized for how much, you know, this? there wouldn't be a fucking show without me. You know, the minute I get into that type of thinking, it's it's destructive and it causes me more and more pain. The minute I let go and I say, I am a facilitator of this podcast. I am the aspect of this show that creates an environment where conversations can unfold. 
and I step out of myself and I just step into the process of the doing, shit just starts to flow. The universe fucking starts to open up. The universe starts to pour in opportunities, pour in abundance and love and gratitude, the shit that's just eternal and infinite, man. Yeah. You know, when you're doing something for the absolute sake of just loving what you're doing, that's when you know you're in the right place, you know? And that, you know, a lot of people go, well, that's, you know, that's really easy for you to say. You're a football player who's made millions of dollars. Trust me, dude. When I came out of the NFL, I didn't have a fucking cent. Yeah. I've been completely bankrupt. I've had uh, rent payments due a week from having zero dollars or negative money in my bank account, you know? And it's not, you know, at the end of the day, man, you can make millions of dollars. I had millions in the bank. I had the fucking big ass house. I had the BMW. I had it all. And I was fucking miserable. Right. I'm miserable. I was doing it for everyone else. I was doing it because I had to prove to the world how fucking big and tough and badass I was. Turning inwards is so hard. Because of all my childhood trauma. You know, I had to show everyone how fucking awesome I was, you know, and it led me nowhere. It led me to a dead end, you know, and, you know, all the spiritual gurus, they talk about this shit and it's really, it's not something mystical. It's not magical. We're all just sort of caught up in the, in the trip of, you know, Western ideology, which is, you know, become rich and famous and make tons of money and live the American dream, which is all fucking fabrication. Because that's you know? what social media shows us, you know? Exactly, dude. That's why I use my social media to spread truth and light into the world, you know? Let's talk about how we're fucking feeling, man. Let's yeah. talk about the root of who you are. Yeah. You know? Everyone's running away from fear and anxiety and sadness and grief. It's like, dude, you're never going to run fast enough to get away from those things. Those are innate human experiences. So why don't we just take the time to acknowledge it, respect it, feel it, and see what we can learn from it? Because then you have to turn inwards. And then you have to really look at yourself and you have to ask yourself all those tough questions that ayahuasca pulls out of you. And, exactly, dude. And, and it's tough. Well, you know, that's just, that's part of the, you know, the waking up. Right. You know, the being a human. Yeah. Because yeah. we've been, we've just been really disillusioned with this fucking mystical and amazing experience that is being a human. Like what a fucking miracle you are. Yeah. Every day, you know, what a miracle you are that you were birthed into this fucking world, man. God, it's like one in a billion chances, you know, that your father's sperm hits your mother's egg. Like people are dying to get pregnant in this world and never do, you know, and here you are. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? That's, you know, it, fuck, you raise, you raise amazing, like, you're, I just, you raise amazing points. That's, that, honestly, you're a, you're a light for so many people out there. And, 
And like whether you're an athlete, not an athlete, looking for direction in business, in in athletics or just fucking whatever, you've been through so much. And I, I fully I fully get it. I, I mean, I get that you it's there's so much it's so hard. It's a struggle every single day, you know, for so many people who don't want to look at themselves who or, you know, even when they have in like you're an example of of, you know, perseverance in the idea of being or ten, tenacity, actually, of being so tenacious that, you know, fuck it. Like, you know, where's that level? When are you when do you feel successful? Where does where's that bar of success? And you're defining it for yourself. That's coming from who you are and not all the things that are around you. And to know that you struggled and came through all of those processes gives a lot of hope to other people. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, it comes through in your podcasting. Now it comes through in all those ways. And I know everybody out there appreciates it. Um, it comes through in your dynamic with how you interact with, with not just like the guests there, but with Mike himself. And like, we know, like, at least, you know, for the people that know you, at least, you know, over the years where the, um, where, where you're going and you know what you're doing we look up to you as as yeah that's something that's attainable to to find that mindful balance and that's fucking cool because that's that's what the mindful warrior is and you've translated in my mind to uh to your business life and uh fuck man that's amazing i really appreciate you coming on here today and uh and having i'd love to come on again yeah that was an awesome conversation bro like uh, anything you want to plug anything you need to you want to shout out uh check me out on instagram and twitter at e d s britain that's ed's britain that's eben daniel smith britain um check me out on instagram and twitter i'm i'm always posting good stuff check out my website ebenbritain.com uh you can check out my writing and my thoughts and practices and you know just trying to share the things that I have, you know, the tools I use and the things I have, the, the practices and rituals I've come to know to help me achieve success. And by success, I mean, you know, how present in the process and in the moment can you possibly be? Um, and, you know, that's really what's going to carry you, man. If you can just find your love and gratitude for the moment and life and the people around you and you know, to live, to live in your greatness. I love it. Thank you so much, bro. Such, such awesome lessons. I read all your shit, you know, um, and, uh, your blog that's on your website. I've read all those articles. Fuck. I'd love to get into your, your, your past and all the, yeah, for sure. Cause I actually, I, I, I'm, we're not going to get into it today, but I want to know like the idea of, you know, you're pretty stoic. You you probably live a stoic mindset a little bit, but then, you know, but then at the same time, the stoics killed your, your ancestors. Yeah. You know, know. that's a, it's a tough, it's a tough reconciliation. Anyways, that's for another time, bro. Uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius wasn't the greatest guy, you know, but he was to his own people. Maybe. Yeah. He was tenacious too. He was. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, bro. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Let's do it. Like, uh, I'd love to do it again and get into it. Absolutely, bro. Beauty. Let's stay in touch. You too, man. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Thanks, everybody.